Mika Zibanejad is still nowhere to be found. The Blue Shirts managed to pick up one point against the surging Bruins Wednesday night, falling in a heartbreaker in OT in the first of two matchups this week. We'll chat with the post's Larry Brooks about the rocky Rangers season and all the drama going on around the league. Former Rangers defenseman Chris Kostopoulos will join us to talk some defense and why he couldn't punch Ron in the face in a fight. All that and more is next on episode 43 of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. So please go on Apple Podcasts right now. Give us that five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We got Larry Brooks back in the saddle this week from the New York Post. We'll also be joined by friend of the program, former Ranger Chris Katsopoulos. But now, here they are, your stars of the show. First, it's our new co-host this season, the New York Post-owned Molly Walker. And back in the saddle this week, former Ranger, number 10, Ron Dugay. Hi, everyone. Yes, I'm back. And it's been a week of uh, more hockey. And as I watch the Rangers... You're always thinking from week to week, how is it that they're doing? Are they improving? You're looking at goaltending. And of course, they've had a disappointing week, uh, having played the Islanders and fought them hard, played them hard. Very, uh, when you look at those two teams, two teams that are well-balanced, but they came at the short of end with uh, losing 2 nothing. And so when you come out of a game like that, you, you're, you're thinking, okay, how do we prepare now? We're going to play one of the hottest teams in the NHL and you play Boston. Well, for the most part last night as I watched the game, the Rangers are playing, as the coach will talk about, how are they playing without the puck? And I think overall they're playing really well. But I think it comes down to one of the same things that we've seen for the most of the season, and it's come down to goaltending. Tuka Rask was really, really good. Uh, it was a little bit comical towards the end of the game where he left his crease thinking that <laughs> it was actually down a goal. But they survived that and they go into overtime and they end up, losing that game with the Rangers. And then you look at the makeup of the Rangers. And when you think about Fiddle Peedle, you're realizing now this kid was having to, uh, a good start to the season. And you're seeing that this team is missing Heedle there as a good centerman. So the team is fighting hard, playing hard. Uh, you have Zabinajad, who I think is competing hard, trying to create more, but it's not happening right now. Tukaras made some exceptional saves on him. And that really goes to the psyche, to the players. When you're thinking in the past you would score in those opportunities, you're not scoring, it's difficult mentally. And then you got Kreider. You know, everyone's talking about Kreider. I think he's almost that same player, works hard, creates chances. But uh, the one element that I think that's missing in his game is that he's not being that power physical forward that we have seen in the past. Sometimes you have to create things. you got to create energy. And Kreider is one of the few forwards when you look at their top six forwards or the top eight, other than Lemieux, that's going to go out there and create that. So I'm still looking for a better game out of Kreider, Sabinajad. I think it's going to happen. Overall, the team looks pretty good. 
but they fell short. They got the one point out of Boston. And overall, Molly, I think that, you know, when you look at, at the team as a whole, I think, you know, as if you're a Ranger fan, you could be still be very optimistic about, you know, the direction they're going in. 100%. There were a lot of good things to take away from Wednesday night's overtime loss to the Bruins. Yes, they got one point, And I mean, it was it came from notable Rangers killer Brad Marchand, of course, has the overtime winner. And at, at least he didn't lick anybody, but he's going to be the guy that's always going to put it in the back of the net against the Rangers. That's always a given. But like I said, there was a lot of good things to take away from it. You know, Julian Gauthier gets his first NHL goal with a really nice move crashing down the middle and, and took a pass from Lemieux off the net and got it to go. Always love to see their smiling faces after scoring their first big league goal. But and nobody had Kevin Rooney registering the game-tying goal in the third. You know, the goal had to be reviewed because of a high stick from Lemieux, but it had no influence on the puck, and it was Rooney who cleaned up the garbage. But it was a gutsy performance, I think. It showed that the Rangers are capable of hanging with arguably the best team in the East and one of the best teams in the league. And they didn't walk away without a point. And that's huge in a shortened season, especially playing the Boston Bruins eight times. There were a lot of things to take away. Zabinajad said he finally felt like himself after a pretty rough start to the season. But going on Zabinajad, he's just not doing enough. He's really in a slump right now. And although he did break through for a pretty good performance Wednesday night, and like you said, he was robbed twice by Tuka Rask. And sometimes you just have to tip your cap to the other goaltender. He had two stellar passes to him that he had almost wide open nets and he just he rask just gloved it down or 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 swatted it away and at that point there's really nothing you can do but Zabinojad has three points in 12 games he's a collective minus five on the season he's had just 39 shots on goal he had four on Wednesday night and he hasn't had a goal since against the Devils on January 19th and he's had one assist in the last nine games and he's the top line center of this team and it's just not enough and you know to recap obviously he had COVID during training camp and subsequently missed almost all of it because it was a shortened you know it was a shortened training camp to begin with and then no preseason games so he was thrown into the fire and it's been 12 games and he still hasn't gotten on track so but this is a player that's that's coming off of two straight 70 plus seasons so he's a contributor and the fact that he's been essentially non-existent on the score sheet has been glaring and has hurt the team gravely. Yeah. And, and to make a mention of a Panarin, who's been accumulating points, but I don't think he's been playing that great. When you look at giveaways, especially on the power play, he's the one player that uh, I shake my head sometimes because he's trying to make too much passing. And mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of those passes getting broken up and I would love to see him really think like he is the shooter. He needs to be shooting a lot more. So Panarin, the reason I bring it up is that uh, he left the game or he didn't play towards the end. And I, to me, it looked like as a player, I can tell you, it looked like a hip flexor. And mm. uh, hopefully that uh, he'll be fine to play tomorrow night because they really need him with Heedle out of the lineup. A bright spot on the Rangers because the line combinations, the coach Quinn is still trying to figure stuff out. But uh, Kevin Rooney, Gauthier, and Lemieux, are looking like a line that provides energy and they're a big heavy line that takes the body and we're getting some good production out of those three. So moving forward, I think that'll be a nice line. Although I would love to see Lemieux have an opportunity to go play somewhere on the top uh, six 
Of course, he's a left winger. Who do you pull out? But if he could play the right side, I'd love to see him up there because he does provide that energy. Maybe pairing up with Kreider, uh, that could make a difference because Kreider seems to, he's playing a nice game right now, which is fine. But if he was to play with Lemieux, would that energize him to be a little more physical? That way he's got a guy that's got his back. Uh, so that's something to consider. But I, I like the line of Rooney Gauthier and Lemieux right now. They're creating some some good energy, getting opportunities. It's good to see Gauthier get his first goal. Yeah, it's it's great that you brought that up, actually, because after the game Wednesday night, David Quinn specifically said he was looking at the minutes that he allotted to each line. And he said verbatim, I was pissed at myself and shame on me for not playing that fourth line more than he did, which, you know, Quinn can get kind of animated sometimes like that, but that was a pretty, you know, stern response, you know, to himself, I guess you could say um, that he was frustrated with himself for not playing that line more than, more than he did. Um, and you're hundred percent right. I mean, they were creating, they were heavy along the boards and they were really bringing that fourth line grit, almost like what the Islanders have with that, their identity line, you know, they were creating and, and just like I said, being really heavy along the boards and, and Julian, Gauthier getting his first goal, you know, breaking the scoring drought. And it was just huge for them. And if they can keep that line intact intact, and, and keep them together, and if they can keep creating, it, it will definitely make them a deeper team down the middle, especially, like you said, um, without Philip Hedl as their third line center. Um, but going to what you said about Kreider, um, I agree with you, you know, on the ice, he totally could be contributing more and could be playing that more heavy style of game. You know, later in the, in the program, we'll talk about his comparison to Tom Wilson with Larry, but I think the most important thing that Kreider has brought to this young Rangers team is his leadership. I mean, the topic of captaincy has just been at the forefront, especially this season, but he's taken on that responsibility with the A on his chest just as much as he would have if it were a C. You know, after the loss to the Islanders, a reporter asked Kreider about Zabinijad's struggles, and Kreider took the question head on and handled it like a professional, but also as a leader. You know, he defended his teammate made it into a broader answer about how the entire team is full of professionals and this is what they do they work through their lows because it's what they're paid to do he's just become a go-to person to speak for the team after losses and he handles it with poise and grace but he's also informative and really sets the tone for the team and we've seen he also brings a joy to the team as well I know after the four to two win over Washington he was messing around with Ryan Strom's table lifting it up and down while he was speaking and making making him laugh. And that's just, that's so important, especially to a team of, of such young guys. They just need to have the joy in the game. And, and Kreider has really brought a nice balance of knowing when to be serious and, and knowing when to um, have fun. So I think that yes, Kreider could step up his game on the ice, but he is bringing intangibles to this young Rangers squad that is so desperately needed. So I, I think Kreider, if he just keeps what he's doing in the locker room, that this Rangers team will really, really benefit from it. Yeah. Well, I'm in full agreement with you there. It's just that I would like to see him play a little more angry. Mm -hmm. uh, when you talk about providing leadership, sometimes you got to come out of your comfort zone. He is a nice guy, likable guy with the team. He's providing that leadership as a captain should. He will defend his players. But I want to say I'd like to see him play a little more angry. And some of the younger players would probably follow suit. And that could, to me, that could go a long way, especially when things are 
you know, they're not going in the right direction. There's certain times in the game where you, a big hit will make a difference. Or you're playing against a Washington team. You got Tom Wilson running around, running guys over. Someone, yeah. someone has got to stand up, not necessarily go after Wilson, but someone's got to stand up and say, you know what, we can do the same thing. And because I see the effects of a Wilson. I mean, it, it makes a difference. And the Rangers, other than Lemieux, they really don't have that guy. So I would love to see him early on in the game establish a physical presence on the ice. And that's where I have a little bit of a, a beef with him. Other than that, he's a, I, you know, I like Kreider. Plays hard. Great skater. He's always noticeable on the ice. So, Well, guys, you know who's not angry? It's Rangers fans because they're coming back to Madison Square Garden February 23rd. Uh, will be the Knicks Warriors. They'll be fans. And then Friday, February 26th, you talked about Rangers Bruins. They'll play each other that Friday. And there will be 2,000 fans in the building. Hallelujah. Get your COVID test. Get your temperatures checked because Rangers fans will be there. You'll have to have a negative COVID test within three days, um, 72 hours of being in the arena. Molly, you've been the lucky one to be there. Ron's been, you know, outside the garden knocking on the door trying to get in. Now Ron could get in. Maybe I'll find my way in. I don't know. Maybe I'll sneak my way past security. Who knows? But we might be in the building. Um, I know it's felt good for you, Molly, to get to cover the games. But I think it's cool for the fans, and I think it'll be cool for the players. It's some sense of normalcy here in New York with indoor dining opening this weekend and now fans at Madison Square Garden and the Barclays Center. Definitely. All the players are so excited. Um, I was asking Adam Fox about it Wednesday night, even after the loss, and you know the excitement just came all over his face. Of course, they're excited to have fans back in the building. It is absolutely so eerie in that Madison Square Garden when it is empty it just it doesn't feel the same and and I feel like a lot of teams really feed off of their fans and they feed off of that energy and it's so much more difficult when you have to worry about creating your own energy and and creating that excitement on the bench that you can just have when fans are in the building but the one thing I will say as someone that has gone to Madison Square Garden and and covered the games is they have such a tremendously well-organized operation going over there. We are not allowed to enter the building unless we turn in a negative COVID test. They test us there on site. It is so organized. When I first went there the first time, I was a little shocked and it was a little scary because of how efficient everything was. You know, the people are literally in like hazmat suits, you know, taking your information and such. And, and uh, everybody is spread out in the auditorium. That's kind of on the side of Madison square garden. I just know that at least I can speak for Madison square garden, that it is going to be so well done and the safety is going to be of the utmost importance. And I really, I tip my cap to the people at Madison square garden for all that they've done. And I couldn't feel more safe when I'm covering the games there. Open up the Carnegie deli pastrami sandwich. Give me the Delta club, big fat pieces of shrimp that they serve. (laughs) Ron, I know you're, you're excited. I know you wanted to be there and I'm sure you're excited that at some point, you know, in the either first or second half of the season that you'll be back. Well, Molly hasn't been around me at the garden, but you have, and you know I like to have fun. <laughs> it brings the best out of me. For me, it's it's uh, it's the interaction with the fans, and it, the garden itself. I I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, over twenty years, and for me not to be able to go to the garden, uh, I haven't felt myself. So there's a part of me that's really missing it, and you could be sure and certain that I will find a way 
to get into the building sometime in March. <laughs> yeah, well, we know the bartenders better be ready. Double shots only, no singles with Ron. So it's, it's always a double pour um, at MSG. Can't wait to be back. You know, the garden, when the garden rocks, is nothing better. It'll rock with 2,000 people. Before, you could hear Molly typing on her keyboard up in the press box with no one there. So now you won't hear that. You'll hear some fans in the building. Coming up next, it's our New York Post Rangers insider, Larry Brooks, right here on Up in the Blue Seats. Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, the one and only Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the Post and at NYPost.com. Larry, we missed you last week. One thing I yeah. really wanted to ask you about is Alexi Lafreniere. You wrote about it after the loss to the Islanders. He got two shifts of barely a minute and a half of ice time in the final 12. What are your thoughts on how Quinn is deploying him, and what do you think needs to be done to nurture him? Well, I think clearly the coaches picked his spots with Lafreniere down the stretch of tight games. It was The Islander game was the third game in a row where he had not gotten on the ice a lot in the, in the final 10, 11 minutes of the game. And there were three games where there was very little open ice in it. Games were contested in tight quarters, and I thought Lafreniere's game dipped a little bit. This is not unique to David Quinn. There is no coach in the National Hockey League that in a tight game over the final 10 minutes is not going to play guys who he feels are best away from the puck or best on the defensive side of the puck. I mean, we can all rail about it. Everyone wants to see offensive guys out there. Everyone wants to see play in open ice, but that's not what coaches want to see. And I thought Lafreniere probably was used as he should have been. I have to say that I seesaw back and forth on this. I do. I think he's a guy who should be playing on the top six. However, there's really no room on the top six for one of those guys. If you're playing him on the top six, then you're probably not playing tackle on top six, right? And then there's complaints about, well, tackle's not getting enough ice time. The other alternative is to move Buknevich out of the top six. And, you know, I think that's something probably they're going to look at if he doesn't elevate his game again. I, th I think his last week or two is, has been, you know, pretty mediocre. I think he's fallen back into some habits where he, you know, he doesn't shoot the puck. I'm talking about Buknevich now. But, the, but they really have seven guys. And this has been exacerbated by Heedle's absence. Because without Heedle, they don't have a center on the third line who can drive offense. Brett Howden's a lot of things, but he's not that. And so whoever is on the third line is, go is going to have a problem. And, and, you know, so they're trying to fit seven guys into six. They can't do it. Somebody gets on the third line. That player struggles. However, I thought Lafreniere played one of his better games last night against the Bruins. He, he got into open ice, he made plays, and if Panarin is down for any length of time, even if he misses the next game, I would assume, I would think that you would very likely see a second line of, or I hope, actually, that you would see a second line of Lafreniere, Strom, and Kako. This is a very, very hard league for a 19-year-old, and, and it just is. And maybe unless you're Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel, maybe you shouldn't, you know, maybe teams shouldn't even consider having teenagers on their team. Honestly, you know, maybe they shouldn't. Um, although I don't know that another year in junior would have done Lafreniere any good anyway. So, you know, there are competing dynamics. I'm not concerned about Lafreniere at all. He's a, he's a hardworking kid. He's obviously has great skills. Everyone wants the spigot to open and the 
goals to come, and I'm no different than anyone else, but I think there has to be some realism here that he's 19 years old. Larry, I'm glad you're bringing this up because kind of it's kind of on my mind, uh, and I was going to um, discuss with you after watching last night and watching the last few games, the one player that uh, they haven't considered on a top six, because there's nothing magical about the top six right now. They've been trying different things. And uh, the one player that I'm thinking about is Brendan Lemieux. I really liked his game, and I like what he represents. Um, he's, he's a good skating player. He plays a lot of energy. He gets involved. And when I look at other teams who play with that type of player on a top six, for example, Washington, Wilson, do you think there it's time or do, would it make any sense for them to give Lemieux a little bit of an opportunity to go up on that one or two line to be able to play his game to see if it doesn't generate some at least some positive energy out there. I think it's interesting because when when the Rangers got him at the trade deadline in 2018, he actually did play a lot of top six minutes. And he just didn't have the stamina at that point to play the minutes that he would that the coach actually wanted to award him it was interesting because he'd only he'd only been playing you know eight or nine minutes a night in in winnipeg and he wasn't playing very much at all in winnipeg and so when he got to new york i guess he just wasn't he couldn't take the 16 17 minutes that they actually wanted to give him but <laughs> i remember actually writing at the time that lemieux was playing well enough that this might impact the rangers decision on whether to give Kreider a contract extension because he was on the power, you know, he was on the power play. He was playing well. The the thing about Lemieux is you you're never quite sure about his discipline. He draws a lot of penalties. He draws more penalties than he takes. But you know, there there are the the moments where he'll take a bad penalty. I'm not sure that he he quite has the hands to play in the top six or the vision. But I understand what you're saying. Now, what, what I would ask you is who's who's coming off the top six? Who is he replacing? You know, he plays the left side. Are you are you bumping Kreider down? You know, are you playing Lemieux with uh, Zibanejad and Buknevich? Or you're certainly not, you know, bumping Panarin off the top six. So, you know, again, who whose place is he taking? But I, I understand. I, I The Rangers need those players, those kinds of players, to play prominent roles if, if they're going to become a, a legitimate playoff run team. There's no question about that. But I like the concept. But again, I would say who's coming out of the top six to make room for him. Yeah, when I when I was thinking about that question to ask you, I'm thinking, okay, who comes out, right? Because he's on the left side. So it would have to be him moving to the right. And I don't know what it's been like for him to go to the right side. But that would be that would be the thing that if he can adapt to that, then, then it would kind of make sense. Because, you know, watch. I, I watch Wilson play, and my goodness, you can just see – what he brings to that line. And is he a more gifted player? You know what, Duke? I would say that the player who should be the Rangers' answer to Tom Wilson, and I'm not talking about the headhunting stuff that went on for years with Tom Wilson. I, you know, I, you know, honestly. But the player who should be the equivalent of Tom Wilson is Chris Kreider. Agreed. Right? I mean, you know, if you're, if you're looking for an equivalent, it should be Kreider. I mean, it should be Kreider who on every shift forces 
the opposition defenseman to look over their shoulder. You know, he does it on a pretty inconsistent basis. I mean, you know, there's a lot of focus in, and correctly so on Zibanejad. But Kreider has had a, you know, a so-so start. He needs to be better too. I mean, that top six, I mean, you know, Panarin's been Panarin for the most part. He has not been as, as dynamic as last year, but, you know, last year was a career year and guys have, you know, in their career years, their career years for a reason. You hope you can build on it. He's putting up points. He's their most dangerous player. He's their best player. But he's not quite having the same year as, as last year. Zibanejad's not close. I think Strom has actually played – I think Strom has played better than probably he's been given credit for in a lot of quarters. I mean, he's doing – you know, he's not taking as many bad penalties. He's better on face-offs. He's better in the defensive zone. But Kreider, too. I mean, their top, their top six is, has just not played well enough to give them any margin for error. I, you know, I like the way they play defensively, um, but they are sacrificing offense to play defense now. And, and, you know, there needs to be a balance. They need to get that top six going. And as we've seen, they need to get Heedle back. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how an injury to their third line center has uh, revealed, you know, one of their great flaws, which is depth down the middle. Switching gears a little bit here, Larry, I wanted to pick your brain about the unfortunate and embarrassing, if I do say so myself, series of events the NHL endured the other night in Ohio in the Blue Jackets 6-5 to loss to the Hurricanes. For those that need a brief recap, essentially the Blue Jackets challenged a goal, a Carolina goal, to be offside, and somehow the wrong information was passed along to NHL referee Ghislaine Hebert, who announced that it was a good goal after hearing through the headset that it was. And naturally, COVID played a part in the miscommunication when the headset had to be sterilized after the wrong information was released and those who were telling the referees that they were wrong never got the information until the end of the period. What the heck happened there and what can the NHL do to never have that happen again? I think there are going to be errors made in video review. There are just going to be errors made. What I thought compounded the error, the way the NHL reacted to it, by setting one precedent while refusing to set another one that was the more meaningful one. So what happened is, it was toward the end of the period, the Carolina goal counted when it shouldn't have because of this, um, apparently there was a, 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 an, uh, an off-ice official in training who, who, who commandeered the operation. You know? A classic and, intern yeah. mistake. Let's be grateful right, I never right. did anything like that, Larry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, unwittingly sabotage the entire <laughs> the entire effort. But okay, so they they mistakenly award the goal, and because the challenge is denied, a delay of game penalty is assessed to Columbus. So it's toward the end of the period. So they have the break. The NHL people have the intermission to review the goal again. And they recognize immediately what has happened, that, that, they've, that they've awarded them, you know, a goal and they shouldn't have. And they've been assessed a penalty that they shouldn't have been assessed. So somehow the people in Toronto decided to wipe the penalty off the board, but refused to wipe the goal off the board. And the explanation provided to The Athletic from Coley Campbell was that they didn't want to set a precedent by going back and wiping off the goal. And because there really, there really was no mechanism to do that in the rule book. I mean, once, once the game starts, it starts. You, you can't go back. Otherwise, you would, you, know, you would have an open-ended 
um, review period. If, you know, what happened if, if 20 minutes later, somebody came, you know, 20, you know, 20 minutes after the fact, somebody came up with a replay, uh, you, you know, you would, you have to unwind everything that happened, but they set a precedent by wiping the penalty off the board. <laughs> you know? So, you know, they set one precedent, but they refused to set the other. And, and that's what made no sense. I mean, I, I, you know, once they botched it through human error, that's exactly right. Admit defeat and move on. But it was an extraordinary move because there was nothing that allowed them to wipe the penalty off the board. But they did because it was common sense. But it would have been common sense just to say, listen, if we're going to take the penalty off the board, you know, we're certainly going to award them the goal, too. So or, or you know, take the goal off. It was it was pretty embarrassing, I thought. And I, and I thought the explanation I thought the explanation was worse than the even mishap. worse. It had yeah. never been done before, so we're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, Larry, in uh, continuing to talk about uh, around the league, if you're a Ranger fan, you're interested in knowing what's going on in the Allen, the Devils, in Philly, and, of course, Pittsburgh. Now, in Pittsburgh, there's been a shakeup. You know, they bring in Hextall and Burke. What is it that you know that was happening in Pittsburgh that they felt like this needed to happen? Do you know? Do you have any insight on that? It sounds to me as if Mario Lemieux decided that he wanted Brian Burke or someone in in their front office. Don't ask me why anyone would want Brian Burke at this point. I don't have the slightest idea. <laughs> as, as far as I can tell, that's that's what happened. You know, they they had a short list um, originally of GMs. My understanding is they were not going to hire a president of hockey operations that they were just going to go out and get a GM because one of the issues in Pittsburgh is the involvement of upper management and ownership anyway. So did they really need another suit in there, you know, to be an intermediary between the general manager and Mario or David Morehouse or whomever is contributing to the decision-making process in Pittsburgh. But there are a lot of people in Pittsburgh and Mario is always there. You know, they, they had identified, Ron Hextall very early as a serious candidate. I think, you know, Hextall did an outstanding job in Philly of, of rebuilding that organization. The Penguins are going to need to be rebuilt even while they try and win. So this is going to be interesting because clearly they're, they're going to try and win again with Crosby and Malkin. Um, and yet they have really nothing coming. So they're going to have to try and do both jobs at once. And, and honestly, I, I don't know what Brian Burke's role is there. I really don't. So that's, that's my contribution. <laughs> Always great to get your opinion, Larry. I'll let you go. Enjoy the Rangers off day this Thursday, and uh, we'll chat next week. All right, Molly. Sounds good. Our guest this week is a former teammate of Duguay's during the 1980-81 season, but he carved out a tremendous NHL career for himself with 479 games in the league with the Blue Shirts, Maple Leafs, Red Wings, and former NHL team, the Hartford Whalers, which I am repping their shirt today. He was a rugged, gritty defenseman. Some people know him as Kotze. Please give a warm welcome to Chris Kostopoulos. Chris, getting right into the Rangers' current decor, Adam Fox has really been one of the only defensemen contributing offensively with seven points. He's got a goal and six assists, and he's starting to get a knack for putting that point shot on net and setting it up for the redirection. 
What have you seen from him through the first handful of games here? Well, his puck handling skills really, really, really good. It makes it makes it a, the game a lot easier for him. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He knows the game, and uh, you can just see the little things that he that he does out there that that turn into big things for the Rangers. And he's very mobile. You know, that's the other thing uh, that, that <laughs> these days the way the game's played. You know, it's all about speed, and been a pretty good find for the Rangers. There's no question about it. When you look at Cadre Miller. Big, big guy. He's like six foot five. He's got a nice, smooth game. How would you assess his game? And how do you think that a guy like Cadre, who plays uh, similar to Hedman in Tampa, how do you see his upside? Is there a large upside to this kid? Oh, absolutely. I, I probably was one of the only uh, former Rangers that wanted to see him here last year, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I thought he would have learned a lot quicker, but you know he's six foot five. Uh, I don't know if he's two hundred and ten pounds or two twenty now. Uh, he, he, again, his skating ability is incredible. His reach is incredible. Uh, and he, he looks like he's got uh, you know he knows the game you know pretty good too. And that that's key these days, dudes. You just can't you can't be a one dimensional player if you're going to be a defenseman today. You got to be able. To, I'd have trouble playing today because I wouldn't be able to do much on the offensive side for for uh, my team. And uh, today's game, you're going to have to have a little bit of offensive ability. I think Andre Miller's got that. And the only thing I'd like to see him do better is use that size a little bit more and, and let people know that, hey, you know, when you're coming down my boards, I'm going to let you know that uh, I got the physicality on you. And that's about the only criticism I have him is, is, is he could be a little bit more physical. But overall, I mean, he's, he's another one. I, he could be rookie of the year by the end of the year. So so having said that, Kotze, when you assess the defensive core and knowing what you know and how you had to play the game back in the 80s, do you think there's an element of toughness that's missing with the New York Rangers? Because uh, right now they're in a position with not using Tony D'Angelo, who's a little guy, but who's a rugged little guy, gritty little guy. Do you think that when they're shopping around looking to replace him, that's what's missing for the New York Rangers? Well, I think that's been missing from the New York Rangers for quite a few years now, to be quite honest with you, Duke. I mean, uh, they haven't been known as one of the most physical teams overall, and especially on the D overall. You know, I've watched almost every game this year. I think the only time they get in real trouble is when there's a bigger uh, third or fourth line out there and the opponents uh, that has size, they have trouble, you know, handling those kind of guys along the boards and in front of the net. But uh, overall, I mean, you, you got to be happy with, with the D. I mean, we're, we're talking about some young kids here. I mean, Andre Miller, I mean, Fox, uh, you know, he, Hijack, uh, Hijack, however you say it, and, and Lindgren, too, as well. I mean, he's got a little bit of feisty this year. I mean, yes, and, and, and trust me, I mean, overall, forget about all the politics, forget about what's happened. Nobody really knows what happened with D'Angelo. D'Angelo did bring a little bit of a snarl to the team, too. I mean, he, he, he stood up for himself out there. He got mixed, he got into the mix every now and then. Uh, but, you know, that's history now. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. What's happened's happened. And the only people that really know what happened with Tony D'Angelo is uh, in that dressing room and management. Kind of going off of that, Katsi, you know, when they sent Tony D'Angelo to his exile, essentially, the Rangers lost an offensive-minded defenseman that has proved that he can be a 50-point producer. I mean, Truba certainly hasn't done that yet. Lindgren hasn't done that. And Keandre Miller is, is still young, who's doing well defensively, but he's still finding his way on the other side of the puck. Do you think the Rangers need another offensive D-man like Tony D'Angelo in order to be successful? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I mean, you can't just uh, leave it on, on one or one 
one or one guy like Adam Fox right now. And, um, you know, I've never been a, a proponent of putting a, you know, forward on the point on a power play. That's just me. That's my, the way I like to see things done. But, uh, Right now, there's a lot of a lot of heavy weight being uh, held, you know, Adam Fox uh, on the power play and, and trying to lead the team offensively from the D side. But uh, yeah, they're they're a situation right now where it's like I, I got to be honest here. Like you know, you got you got two young kids on forward, they're Taco and Lafreniere, that are you know trying to find some ice time. You got a bunch of young kids on the D. I mean, this is a young hockey club, people. I mean, let's call it what it is. Overall, they're very, very young compared to the rest of the league, and yet they're, they've been right there in almost every game this year, except outside a couple. I think the Islanders, when the Islanders shut them out in opening night or whatever it was, and, uh, they're, they're trying to find their way. I mean, it's tough to manage this team right now as a head coach. I, I'll be honest with you. you. You got a bunch of young kids, but then again, you got a bunch of studs up front that are struggling. So how do you find the ice time for all these guys? But uh, I do agree. I think they're going to need another little bit more help on the D-line uh, offensively. Kotze, overall, when you're looking at the team where, I mean, we're only 12 games in and they're a little below 500. How do you, uh, when you assess this team looking forward, and you're right, when you look at just about every game, they were in every game. And I think the difference has been the goaltending on both sides. Like they've run into some really good goaltending. And Ranger goaltending has been average at best. So I like what I see. But when you look down the road, is this a team that uh, you believe if they continue to improve and they play without injuries, that they're good enough to make the playoffs? Well, you know, again, you take two two or three of those games right now, Ron, that that they probably should have won and they'd be in a playoff spot. So. And that's with, uh, you know, guys like Zabinijad struggling and guys like Kreider struggling and guys you're counting on to, uh, you know, create the offense for the team. In the meantime, you got guys like Taco and Lafreniere and, and now there's Gauthier, you know, trying to find ice time and trying to find their own game. I I, I think if things get settled up top, because let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, all you have to do is look at last year. Outside of Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid, probably one of the best one-two punches in the league during the regular season was Panera and, and Zabinijad, offensively. And right now, you're not getting that out of those two. You're getting it out of one. You're, you're not getting it out of the other. And, and Chris Kreider needs to pick up his game a little bit, too. I mean, it, it's not because they're not working hard. It's just not showing up on the score sheet. Katsi, it's Jake here. Now, I think this is your third time on the Up in the Blue Seats program. A true friend of the program. I mean, we got to start. Hey, do, I get a, do I get a prize? I was going to say we we got to send you we got to send you cho- chocolates or flowers or something. Uh, we need for- to get some merch. That's what we <laughs> need. Yeah, we need some Up in the Blue Seats T-shirts. Maybe we'll send to you and the family. I don't know. Maybe we'll see you at a Rangers game soon with fans back uh, in the seats in a couple of weeks. Um, I've actually gotten used to now spelling your name, which is truly a tough task. I deserve a Pulitzer Prize for writing your name in these articles a few times but uh thanks th- thanks for coming on man uh you you only had one season with ron with the rangers what made you two click so much in that one year well you know he was probably our best player overall i mean and just a good teammate in the dressing room he was very quiet ron I mean, is clapping I mean, right he, now he, he's, you should have seen his yes. face as soon as you said well, that I'm just, you know, the tr- I'm just telling you the truth plus i played against him in junior we we fought in junior and up in sudbury there uh I, again, he was uh, probably our best player like that season. I think he led our team in points or came pretty close to it in the playoffs, too. Uh, it was just an exciting time. And, you know, plus, let's call it what it is. I mean, his R off the ice was kind of like 
you know, had us all like kind of starstruck a little bit, you know, us young guys, but it is what it was. I mean, I, I loved my time with the New York Rangers, even though it was a one, one year thing. And, you know, we went to the semifinals and I kept thinking, wow, this team stays together. We'll be all right. But unfortunately they, they traded my big butt and a few other guys and decided to go play small hockey instead. So, but Dukes, Dukes is a good person, very quiet, very, he's actually shy and reserved in public. Trust me, I think you guys know that by now. <laughs> so, so, so you were there on the dance floor with your boogie shoes on at Studio 54, no, moonwalking. No, no, oh, no, man. no, 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 That That never happened, uh, trust me. <laughs> Alabanda, what was the other place, Ron? that brave. What was the Italian place, Ron? Alabanda or something? Uh, what's the call? Il, il, il Vagabondo. Il Vagabondo was an Italian <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> that we would go to before going to Studio 54 just to warm up to go to Studio 54. <laughs> so did you go so to the warm-up? Katsi, you had a pregame at least, right? <laughs> Let's put it this way. He's about the only one brave enough to get on the dance floor because if you really looked at it back then, you know, we, we weren't very good when it comes to dancing. We were good at skating, but dancing, no. Wait, Katsi, did you say that you fought with Ron in juniors? Yeah, we got to like, hear that. Like, drop the gloves? Yeah, we did. Yes, we okay, did. So we, uh, I need to know who won. Yeah, who, who, won who, who, who got, who what? took the round turn? I, 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 I mean, he was, he was a veteran. Like, he, he asked me by a year and change. So he was a veteran. So we had a veteran team, and I was, like, 16 years old. I, I don't think either one of us won or lost, but I do know that my first game back against the Rangers as a Hartford Whaler was a different story. We we fought again, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you all. Well, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. But the bottom line was, that I remember this like it was yesterday. I ended up on top of him, and he looked at me and said, "Kachi, don't hit me in the face. I just signed a new new modeling contract." <laughs> that is That's so a on true brand story, for people. <laughs> That's a true story. I can't remember who. To, I can't remember the name of the company. Was it Ford or Elite or whatever? But he, that's exactly what he said to me. So I started laughing and I stopped trying to fight him. Anything but the face. Anything but the money maker. Oh yeah, just don't hit me in the face. That, that's exactly. What don't hit me in the face. Ron, your thoughts. Your thoughts on that story. Well, that's Kotsi's version. The reason he ended up on... Well, yeah, exactly. You knew this was coming. No, uh, well, I will agree with him with what I said, because Mm -hmm. Kotsi and I were friends, we're buddies. You know, it's like when I first uh, went back to New York and I played against Barry Beck. Him and I were good friends. Sure enough, him and I got in a fight. Now, that's just us being hockey players and competing. When you're playing your game and you're being the best that you can be, you will uh, fight a friend. But it wasn't anything where we we're trying to hurt each other. It was, a, I think, it was Davy Silk that was stirring yeah. things up because Davy was a little bit of a mouthpiece, and Kotsi, of course, gets involved. And I think that there was a little bit of scrum, and I believe I tripped over someone, fell back, and a big two hundred fifty pounds of Kotsi. <laughs> yeah, there was a banana peel on the ice. I remember now. No, you know, dudes, dudes, you're absolutely, you're, you're almost partially correct there. You guys have just scored a goal, and I'm kind of, uh, Dave Silk kind of, like, mouthed off to me, so I punched him in the head, Dave Silk, and then you came in and bailed out Dave Silk, you know, being the good teammate that you are. A mistake, but being a good teammate that you were. All right, so, so Dave gets punched, and then Ron Ron's uh, rebuttal was, don't punch me, I'm a model, like, to get away from me. <laughs> 
Well, that's exactly what he said to me, Dow. And, uh, and I mean, I just had to laugh. I mean, because I had, I can tell you real quickly before we go is that I never hung around with Ron Dugay in the city of New York, but on the road, I was his trail man for quite a bit there. Is that right? So is that we did have a little bit? We did have a little well, I got to watch. I got to watch some of the most uh, fascinating things that that, that ever happened uh, during that year. Yeah, uh, especially uh, when I had the limo waiting for me at various airports. Oh God, that that was that, that wasn't just once. I think that happened. How many times did that happen? Because we played there during the regular season. It, you know, you see, it's like a line of ants getting off a, off of a off a plane and through the airport, and players just line up right behind each other, get on a bus. And we're walking, we're walking to the bus, you know, 20, 25 people, including management, coaches. And one guy just steers off to the left, and I just look over, and there, there's this big stretched limo with Holly from uh, The Price is Right. <laughs> waiting, waiting at the door, like, 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 just waiting at the door, holding the door open, red carpet treatment. Dude just sort of looks at us, see, boys. <laughs> Stepped into the limo. That is actually wow, too rich. Priceless well, stories here, Molly. How about this? We didn't know about a couple of these. I mean, ones. this was gold. This was an absolute gold interview. Well, that happened more than once, though. That happened more than once that year. That happened more than once. So that was like a routine. Well, Kati, it is always a pleasure. A true friend of the show. We'll have you back on real soon. Thanks so much. All right. All right, guys. Thanks. Episode 43, the Colin Blackwell edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts now and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. For Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We'll chat with you guys again next Thursday. Have a happy Valentine's Day. Stay warm, stay safe, and thanks for listening.